This episode of Local Knowledge is brought to you by TaylorMade. Now, they pride themselves on being able to do anything and everything to make golfers better. That's just what happens when you have a group of people who live, breathe, and sleep golf. Like you, they don't just play the game, they obsess over it. And they're always looking to increase their local knowledge of what golfers want out of the gear they rely on. And if you share this passion with them, welcome to the team. Use the promo code GOLFDIGEST, in all caps, GOLFDIGEST, for free shipping on TaylorMadeGolf.com. Another Watson is wearing a green jacket at Augusta. And this time, his name is Bubba. Ten years ago this week, Bubba Watson's life changed overnight. That's what happens when you win the biggest golf tournament in the world. And you're a Southern boy, Georgia Bulldog, never had a golf lesson in your life. You swing out of your shoes, hit it 330, and your name is Bubba. For the general public, you go from being a funny name on a leaderboard to, as the Sports Illustrated cover called him, a new folk hero. A one-namer. Just Bubba. You likely remember the shot that sealed the deal. On the second hole of a playoff against Louis Oosthuizen, Bubba hit a shot that only he could. A rope-hook gap wedge from the pine straw right of the 10th fairway to 15 feet. Did it hook? Oh, what a shot! Look at it. Snap hooking on the green and incredible. Absolutely incredible. But what you don't remember, because you weren't there and it wasn't broadcast on live television, is what came after that life-changing shot. You know about the champion's dinner and the lifelong invitation to the Masters, but what happens after you win the Masters? Like, right after? What are those next 24 hours like? I'm Dan Rappaport, this is Local Knowledge, and today's episode will take you on the wild ride of what it's like to win the Masters. The moments before, the moments directly following, the crazy few days afterwards, and years later. Our tour guides will be Masters champions, Bubba Watson and Trevor Immelman, as well as a two-time Masters winning caddy, Joe LaCava. Perhaps you've heard of his current boss, Tiger Woods. It's remarkable how much granular detail each of these three men remember about those fateful April days in Augusta. Some things, I guess, you just don't forget. Trevor Immelman didn't get much attention leading up to the 2008 Masters. He was 28 years old, 29th in the world rankings, known as a good young player with a beautiful swing, but not quite on the elite level. He'd played seven stroke play events that year before making the drive up Magnolia Lane, and they didn't go very well. Miscut, 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 T65, T48, T40, miscut. So he came to Augusta with virtually no expectations, because of his game and because of his body. In December was when they found a tumor on my diaphragm. And so I had to end up having surgery at the end of 07. Uh, they had to go in through my back and, and get this tumor. So Trevor has to recover from this six inch incision in his back. And he struggles throughout the West Coast with the damp temperatures and the thick rough. And then something clicks at the best time possible. And by Saturday night of the Masters, he's sleeping on a two shot lead. I was very keenly aware that this could easily be my best and only chance to win a major just because nobody ever thought 
that Tiger Woods was going to go away. <laughs> you know, he was just so dominant. I mean, that was that was early 2008. I mean, that was 2007, 2006 was just an incredible run. And it was, you know, before we knew about his injuries in 2008. So that was, I mean, if 2000, 2001 was one peak Tiger, this, this was another. Yeah, he was absolutely mopping the floor with us. And so, like, once I got the lead, and then particularly after three days, again, held the lead, had a two-stroke lead going into Sunday, like, I very clearly remember on that Saturday night thinking to myself, like, this could be it, okay? You've dreamed about this since you were five years old growing up in South Africa. And so my next thought was, okay, so how are you going to give yourself the best chance tomorrow? If this is it, how are you going to give yourself the best chance on Sunday? Bubba Watson's lead up to the 2012 Masters was more of what you'd expect for a future champion. He'd played six stroke play events before Augusta, T18, T13, T5, T13, solo second, and T4. He was 18th in the world rankings, a rising star. He'd also recently adopted his first child, Caleb, which was great on both a personal and a professional level. Personally, well, you know why it's great, he adopted a child. But professionally, it armed him with something else to talk about in the lead-up. So yeah, leading into it, I thought I, I had a shot at it. But when I got there, it was more about deflecting all the questions to my adoption, deflecting it all to Caleb and about, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to do that. So that it wouldn't be about me winning and how great I'm playing. And then, and then when Sunday came around, you know, the pressure is different, right? Because now you start, you know, you have a shot, right? There's a lot of people that's a shot, but you're one of those people. And when I buried four holes in a row in the back nine, I tied for the lead. So that's where everything blew out the window, and my calmness was totally gone after that. Trevor Immelman managed to keep his cool a touch longer. Like, just a touch. One hole longer. He double bogeyed the 16th after misjudging the wind and pulling one into the water on the famous part three. Wow, that's surprising. I thought disaster had just struck. i tell you what, what really helped was I got a standing ovation from the patrons around 16 green. And I was like, man, this is the oddest thing I've ever experienced in my career. I've just made a double bogey when I know that I'm leading the tournament. I don't know by how many, but I can feel from the crowd that I'm leading. And I've just made a double bogey and I'm getting a standing ovation to this tee on 17. So in a way that helped me because I was like, okay, so you must still be okay. Let's just regroup and find a way to get this thing in here. Trevor pars 17, hits the fairway on 18, hits the green on 18, and finally turns to his caddy and asks for some info. So he tells me that I'm three in front, so I'm trying to do the math, but everything's going real quick in my brain. And, and I say to him, so wait, you're telling me I can three putt and win? And he looks at me and he's like, no, no, you can four putt and win. At that point was the first time during the week that I came out of that bubble and I actually started noticing stuff, seeing stuff. Every, every real decision from the age of five till that moment at 28, every decision that was made was made with, okay, is this going to make me better at golf or is this going to make me worse at golf? And so for more than two decades, like 100% dedicated my life to seeing how good I can get. And so to have that moment where like, man, now you're on the precipice of achieving the thing that you've been wanting, it's mega surreal, mega surreal. Winning, that's mega surreal. What happens after winning, that's 
a mega whirlwind. It's become a golf Twitter joke. Ricky Fowler waiting behind the green to congratulate someone else for winning a golf tournament. But the first real example of it came in 2012 when he hung around to congratulate the newest Masters champion, Bubba Watson. You, you hold the, the final putt and, um, you know, it, it was a weird it was a weird thing for me because, you know, the clubhouse is way up the hill. Remember, Bubba finished on 10 green after the playoff, which is down a ski slope-like hill from the clubhouse area. You had Ricky Fowler, Ben Craig, um, Aaron Badley, and their families. And my mom and my trainer was there. And so, uh, and my and my father-in-law was there. And so, you know, when you add up all these people that walk from the clubhouse to come see you, um, and then not knowing if you're going to win, and then you win. So you, you you hug them, and you cry with them, and you, and you you thank them for being there. Like three, I mean, these are three professionals that were in the field, right? Um, then you get in a golf cart, and they just, they just take you up the fairway fast to... Um, Butler cabin. Bubba didn't have to worry about signing his scorecard because he'd already done that at the end of regulation. But Trevor Immelman did have to check his P's and Q's and dot his I's before anything became official. You know, in those days, we had the scorer's hut right behind 18 green. It's different now. Now uh, you walk across the first tee and you go down into the clubhouse and that's where the recorders are. In those days, it was right behind the green. Like it's, it was almost touching the TV tower on 18. So uh, my, my little boy, he's, he's 18 months old. He runs down and I pick him up. And, uh, you know, I've shook hands with Brent. I've acknowledged the patrons. I was playing with Snedeker and, um, you know, hug my wife. I see my, my parents hug them. But still, I'm like, OK, I've got to get this card sorted out. So you go into the hut. You're checking over the scorecard just it feels like 20 times, making sure that everything's right, asking everybody if it's correct. Yeah, you gotta avoid a DiVincenzo. You gotta oh man, I'll tell you what. And I'm like, I'm like an OCD guy anyway. So I'm like double, triple. I mean, I'm going over this card. I'm getting my caddy to check, I'm getting the recorders to check. Eventually it's all squared away. Um, and then you're like whisked off to Butler Cabin because CBS is trying to make that. 7 or 7.30 finish. Over the last 40 years, you've inspired all of us here at TaylorMade to make a lot of great drivers. But all materials eventually reach their limit. So just like we went from persimmon to steel and then steel to titanium, now it's time to leave titanium behind because the future belongs to carbon. Introducing the all-new TaylorMade Stealth, with a red 60-layer carbon face for better energy transfer and more ball speed. To learn more about the Stealth or to schedule a fitting, check out TaylorMadeGolf.com and enter promo code GOLFDIGEST in all caps, GOLFDIGEST, for free shipping. Welcome to the Carbonwood Age, only from TaylorMade. Fred Ridley after a truly historic Masters tournament, Fred. Thanks, Jim. Uh, it's been an epic Sunday here at the Masters. It's been a great day for golf. Uh, just one of the most amazing weeks in our history. No question about it. Joined by the Butler Cabin ceremony is always a little bit awkward. There's weird pauses. It's super quiet. You go from the commotion of the final putt to walking through an alley with screaming patrons on both sides, and then it's just dead silent. But it's iconic. One of those Masters traditions where the champion slips on the green jacket for the first time. Bubba remembers it vividly. Now it's the time, you know, they have jackets. Now they got to try to find one that fits you. Um, I'm telling a secret. I probably shouldn't be telling a secret. But 
So I, um, I put the jacket on and I said, this is good. And they're like, don't you want to try different sizes? Like, nope, I don't want you to take it off. Like this is, um, so I stayed with that, that original one. And then, um, as soon as that happens, you know, they're in the, they're in the cabin, the cameras on them, they're powdering my nose and all these things. And then, um, and then the amateur champion or the amateur, uh, wins the amateur medal, lowest amateur, he goes in there and then I come in there. Um, and then, you know, you do those interviews real fast. Schwartzel's the one with the jacket on me, Jim Nance, and I've already cried out, but I'm trying not to cry anymore. Uh, they show the picture of my, my wife and my son, my, my newly adopted son. Regarding the crying, it almost seems like Jim Nance is actively trying to get you to cry. You run in there, Zach Johnson waiting, uh, the chairman was Billy Payne at the time and Jim Nance. And you're like, okay, they give you short instructions of, okay, this is what's going to happen for the next few minutes. And I'll never forget Jim Nance saying to me, and when we're done, just look into that camera, camera number one, and then I'm going to say something about the week. And so you go through this that's, whole that's process. Nice. It's nice that he at least gave you a little warning that he was going to go <laughs> straight straight for the jugular with the tears. I guess. I mean, I'm almost ready to cry now telling the damn story. It's nuts. And so all the while now, you're just like trying to process everything that's going on. So, uh, you know, they have a quick word with Zach. The chairman speaks. And you're just thinking, what on earth is going on? Uh, get up. Zach puts the jacket on. And now it's like, wow, this is really real. And then you look into this camera and Nance starts recapping the week and saying something about you. And at that moment, um, like I'm just thinking to myself, this is the craziest thing I've ever experienced. So all this goes on, they interview me and I, um, I shake their hands and we go and take a breather so I can go to the restroom and just kind of decompress for a second. So now that live TV is done, right? Now, while I'm decompressing, they're setting up the outside. You know how they set up on the, the putting green. So now I've got to do it all again. Um, I got to take the jacket off. They take it, give it to me there in front of everybody. So I called my wife right at Butler cabin. And I just said, Hey, I've got to call my wife. I'm sorry. Um, so I called her and um, said, I love you. Uh, and you know, she tells me she loves me. I, I can't believe this happened. I was like, yeah, I said, I'm sorry. I got to put the green jacket on. I got to go, but I'll call you. So I hang up. Um, it was literally a 30 second phone call. Is there a guy who's sort of like they assigned to like be your sort of tour guide throughout all this or, or how do they, is someone escorting you from place to place? Yeah, there's a security team, um, security team, worker, uh, you know, all these things. There's multiple people. There's people dressed in gear. There's people, you know, undercover. There's all these things. Um, and so, you know, I go up there and I take it. I just kind of debrief. I just kind of just take a breath. Um, and um, now we go out outside and um, Charles Schwartzel, I don't know how much you know about Charles Schwartzel, but he's a pilot. So he's, he flies airplanes. He can fly helicopters. He owns this airplane helicopter and he flies them. So I can remember vividly sitting there talking with him and I'm like, yo, I'm like, Hey man, you see that? Can you fly that? You see that airplane? <laughs> and um, he's like, yeah, man. And I said, what kind of helicopter is that? Cause there's a helicopter and there's different things. And, I kept nudging, hey man, can you, you fly that right there? And um, so I'm talking to him about all this other stuff. Again, I was just amazed at how much each of these guys remembered a decade later. And they're announcing all the organizations that put on the tournament. And then, then it's my turn. It's my turn to give a little speech, my turn to put the jacket on and see the trophy. 
for the first time. Um, you know, there's a lot of dog fans, a lot of Georgia UGA fans there. So a lot of dogs, a lot of barking going on. It's funny. Trevor remembers hearing some familiar sounds as well during his speech. In the crowd, I could see South Africans. I can hear South Africans. The accent is so, um, you know, I'm so in tune with the accent, obviously, having grown up there. And so you, you sit down for a little, for a few minutes while they're getting everything sorted. And then it, it starts to sink in a little bit. The chairman speaks again. I stand up and speak. After Zach puts the jacket on me again. And then you while have you're the, sitting, While you're photos. sitting down, are you preparing remarks in your head? I mean, are you thinking about what am I going to say? Or did you just let it flow? No, I just let it flow. I, I, I've always been better that way anyway. Um, but just let it flow. I was more just trying to listen to what the chairman was saying. You know, I've always found that the best because then you could possibly play off of something that someone else has said prior. But really, it's almost like you touched on earlier. Your whole life up until that moment is in some way, shape or form. You're kind of running through so many different memories. And uh, so then after you stand up, you do the photos uh, for the the scrum that's waiting there to get, you know, meet their deadlines with the photos. And then you moved off to the media center. While the winning player is in the middle of this roller coaster, his caddy's off, well, he's off doing different things. What did you do in the three hours between Freddie signing his scorecard until you saw him again later at the rental house? Uh, drank a lot of beer and had a big steak. That sounds uh, like a pretty good day. Yeah. That's Joe LaCava, who you likely know as Tiger Woods' caddy. Before he was Tiger's caddy, or Dustin Johnson's caddy, he was Fred Couples' caddy. And he was on the bag when Freddie won the Masters in 1992. What I did, like I said, I went to, I went and had a few beers, turned my bib in, um, saw, saw some of the boys like Bones and, and, and um, Tommy Lamb and John Burke Cubby, we call them. And then went to T-Bones. T-Bones, if you've never been to Augusta, it's kind of a legendary spot. It's a steakhouse, and it's not necessarily the best food, but it's less than a mile away from the course, and it's an absolute hot spot on Masters Week every year. We are at T-Bones, and, you know, next thing you know, the, guy, the thing that stands out to us, obviously, is a guy almost died. He was in the parking lot choking on a piece of steak. Wait, wait, wait. So, so, sorry. You guys are in the parking lot drinking after Freddie wins and, and catastrophe strikes? catastrophe strikes i mean there's a guy they pull him out of the thing and i remember peter Jacobson being involved i don't know if he actually saved the guy's life but he was involved and he was there and guys were doing the heimlich on him and he spit the thing out and they, they saved the guy but uh it was it was freaky like i said bones probably remembers better than i do just because remembers things like that but it definitely happened and i was there it was it was you know it, it Listen, they saved the guy, which was awesome, but it kind of put, uh, not a damper on the night, but it was, you know, it was just kind of a stunning moment, let's just say that. These days, we call that a buzzkill, but these caddies were not going to let that kill their vibe. But then we went and had a few more beers, and then we then we uh, said, let's hop in the car and, and go over to Fred's house. And Fred was at the house with his crew of six or eight people, and they were watching a replay of that day on, you know, they taped it on the old VHS back in the day. And they were watching a replay of the of Sunday's round. We only stayed for 20, 30 minutes, had a quick beer with them. You know, gave Fred a nice hug. We wanted to say hello and congratulations. Because like I said, basically, after he signed the scorecard, I didn't see him again. That's because Fred was on the mad dash that Bubba and Trevor were on. So let's rejoin them. 
The winner gets driven to the media center. The new one is about three minutes drive from the course. Trust me, I've timed it multiple times. And the winner's often greeted by a standing ovation from the scribes. He answers questions for, let's say, 30 minutes. And it's another sit down with ESPN and Golf Channel. While I go and do the media, because I really, even though my agent is with me and I've got the member that's kind of moving me in the right direction, they're only telling me what I need to know right now. Because I'm clearly, everybody is so overwhelmed in the moment that there's no point that they break down a million things for you because you're just not going to get it. So they're like, okay, now we're going to the media. So while I'm going and doing the media and then sitting down with ESPN and Golf Channel, my family is driven to our rental house so that they can change and kind of get ready for this dinner. So they know that the dinner is going to happen. I don't know that the dinner is going to happen. The dinner they're talking about, it's a mandatory dinner with the membership of Augusta National. The Masters champion, after he's finished with his media obligations, heads to a dinner that used to be held in the main dining room of the clubhouse, but has been moved in recent years to a temporary pavilion next to Butler Cabin. Again, normally the media obligations flow right into the dinner, but the schedule was thrown off the second time Joe LaCava caddied for the Masters winner. That was 2019, when Tiger completed one of the greatest comebacks in sports history. You might remember that the tee times that day were moved way up in anticipation of a storm. We got done, you know, I want to say 2.30, 3 o'clock, pretty, pretty easy day. And then since we have more time, I'm going to put the clubs into the car. Because that's first things first for me is make sure the clubs are safe and put away and locked up the whole nine yards. I don't want to drag them around forever. Well, especially, the, I mean, those clubs, I would think the Hall of Fame's call and Tiger wants a Moser, that's precious cargo. Right, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the putters, everything's precious cargo, 100%. So I want to get those locked up and done with so I can kind of enjoy myself knowing that they're safe instead of lugging them all around. So I ended up going to the car, and Gene Wojciechowski from ESPN is kind of following me over the world, just talking BS and having a good time, just keeping it light. And next thing I know, I think there was 30 people around Tiger's car in the Champions parking lot, and that turned into, you know, an hour, hour and a half. That would be annoying writers like myself wanting to get a quote from the Masters winning caddy. And then Rob came out to me, Rob McNamara came out to me and says, hey, we're all gathered in, you know, one of the houses over here. We're waiting on Tiger. He's going to stop by for 10 or 15 minutes before he kind of makes a little uh, rendezvous through the, the members area where they're going to have dinner. But he doesn't have to stay for dinner, but he's going to give a little speech and so on and so forth. So why don't you come over here and hang out? Um, until Tiger gets here. And we hung out, and then it was all of Tiger's closest friends and people. And uh, then Tiger showed up. We took a couple nice photos. I got one really nice one with just him and I, and then one with my wife and him, we, which we have hanging up. Um, so we got 10 or 15 minutes with him alone, which was, was which awesome. You know, when you're, you're sitting in those moments when it's just, just Tiger's crew inside, are you guys, is it like any other group of guys after a round of golf where you're reliving the shots and you're saying, Oh, I thought you were, I thought that was way longer the green. Like what are those conversations like? There, there's definitely a little bit of the golf in there. There's a little ebb and flow of the round. You know, you're certainly going to talk about 12 and all that happened down there. And, um, you know, certain shots like the shot on 16. So, you know, Rob's in there, Rick Nichols is in there with Nike. So you're going through, you know, some decent golf stuff at the same time. You know, you're kind of having fun and talking about other stuff, too, just to kind of keep it light. But obviously, everyone wants to talk about the golf um, and how excited they were, how nervous they were. They didn't know if, you know, someone was going to make a putt on 16 to take the lead. They were worried about Tiger, you know, on 15 having to wait. You know, you don't want to wait over that shot, but he had to wait a little bit, stuff like that. So, In other uh, words, just a bunch of guys after a round of golf reliving it. 
It's kind of funny, isn't it? How even at the literally highest level of the game after the round, that's what Tiger and his boys do. Just like you and your boys. Over the last 40 years, you've inspired all of us here at TaylorMade to make a lot of great drivers. But all materials eventually reach their limit. So just like we went from persimmon to steel and then steel to titanium, now it's time to leave titanium behind because the future belongs to carbon. Introducing the all-new TaylorMade Stealth with a red 60-layer carbon face for better energy transfer and more ball speed. To learn more about the Stealth or to schedule a fitting, check out TaylorMadeGolf.com and enter promo code GOLFDIGEST in all caps, GOLFDIGEST, for free shipping. Welcome to the Carbonwood Age, only from TaylorMade. So Bubba heads up to dinner and he gets a present. Somehow they get this portrait made. I, I don't. I, I like mean, a painted like a painted thing. Yeah, it's like a picture. It's like moments that happen, like like me hugging my father-in-law, me hugging my mom, me hugging Teddy, me holding up my putter and the visor. I mean, it's just things. And so they they have this all done on this this portrait, which I have hanging up in my house now. But they reveal it right there in front of everybody, and then they hand it to me, and rest is history. But so we eat food and. And we hang out and I talk to them for a little bit. And, um, you know, they ask me questions and I talk and answer them. And did do you realize, like, I, I mean, obviously the membership at Augusta National is a who's who of some of the most impressive people in the world. Do you do you recognize yes. some of these people? Do, do you realize, you know, sort of who you're talking to? Because it seems like you know, it's not often that you get a PJ Tour player in the room and he might have the smallest bank account of anyone in there. Yeah, true. Well, that's a given. That is definitely true. Um, but, you know, um, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when you think about, like, I mean, you're talking about the CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies. You're talking about um, athletes. Uh, you're talking about different people in this room. Um, and, and then there's me, and they're, they're listening to every word that I'm saying. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty wild. But it's an honor and a privilege. If you think Bubba fell out of place, that is nothing compared to Joey LaCava. And then I remember going into the members, I don't know what you would call it, but the area where they were going to have dinner. And, you know, there's probably a couple hundred people in there and half of them have a green jacket on and half of them have um, nice dresses on. And there's one table of Tigers crew. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, everyone is dressed. There's 200 people in there. 199 are dressed very nice in golf stuff and everything else. And I've got, a sweaty Saquon Barkley t-shirt on along with shorts. <laughs> the Saquon, the Saquon t-shirt made it into the clubhouse? Sure it did. I, well, that's what I wear underneath my overalls. So I don't have, I don't have any change of clothes till I get home and shower up. So that's, I smell, I'm sweaty. And like I said, I literally have a non-colored Saquon Barkley t-shirt on and it's blue. So obviously I stick out like a sort of thumb because everyone's got green and kind of like <laughs> yellow on and I've got a blue t-shirt. Trevor Immelman remembers leaving Augusta National around 11.30 p.m. that night. And then headed back to um, my management company's rental house and and, uh, and started getting a party going from there. And so at that point, now you, you go back to their uh, house where they've been entertaining throughout the week. And I remember Tim Clark was out, out there. A couple uh, South Africans came just to say, well done, have a few drinks. My agent started telling me, okay, here's the plan. We're going to leave at 8 a.m. We're going to do New York. We're going to be doing this, that, the rest. And so 
you know, party went on for a few hours. And I remember at 4 a.m., okay, back at my rental house now. So we've gotten back to my rental house, which was very close, was in the same subdivision as where we were having the party. At 4 a.m., putting my head down on the pillow and just could not sleep. So got zero sleep. Got out of bed just after six, uh, turned on the TV, started reading the newspapers and such. And, uh, and then we went to the airport and 8 a.m. we were wheels up to New York. And from that moment on for two days, it was just nonstop. One interview after the next, cell phone to cell phone to cell phone to, to, uh, to Fox, to CBS, uh, NBC, did the late show with Letterman, um, went to a Celtics Knicks game at Madison Square Garden. Just insane stuff. Empire State Building, just running around constantly for two days and then got on the plane back to Orlando. And I think I slept for the first time on that flight back, <laughs> heading back from New York to Orlando. It, it was an amazing couple days that, uh, that I'll never forget, all kind of jammed in. Bubba wasn't so hot on the idea of New York initially. I always told myself <clears throat> that I'm not gonna do the media. I've always said, I'm not gonna go to New York, right? That's what I've said. I've just like, tried to like toughen the, the Jimmy Fallon, like that. Yeah, David Letterman was back then, 10 years ago, David Letterman was on TV. And so I was like, I'm not doing that. Like that's, I won the trophy, I'm good. And I get home because I just adopted my son. I get home at 3.30 in the morning. Plane drops me off, I get home. My son wakes up at six. That's his feeding time. I feed my son at six o'clock in the morning. Um, I told my wife I'm not going. She goes, no, 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 you're going to New York. As usual, the wife wins. A new folk hero. That's who we have on the program tonight. On Easter Sunday, uh, first guest overcame a four-stroke deficit at Augusta National to win his first major and claim the coveted green jacket. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, your 2012 Masters champion, Bubba Watson. Bubba! Went up there, and I mean, it was amazing. I was on Letterman, I was on these shows, I was meeting all these people, meeting my idol. My favorite movie of all time is The Natural, uh, Robert Redford. Redford. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and he was there. He was at, he was doing some talk show. I happened to walk in. I was like, oh my gosh. And so I got to talk to him. And he was talking to me about the Masters. I was talking to him about the movie. I was just all this stuff. He'd come quite a long way in 48 hours, from being just another golfer to someone that Robert Redford wants to talk to. Winning the Masters, it's just not like winning other golf tournaments, even other majors. It transcends the sport, and winning puts you into a quasi-fraternity. You host the next year's Champions Dinner, and are invited to the rest of them as long as you live. You get to play the Masters every year, no matter how bad your form is. You become an honorary member of Augusta National, which means you can show up and play whenever you want. But if you want to bring a guest, you still need a member to do so. Except for the Sunday before the Masters, when past champions can bring guests on their own dime. It's as simple as this. Your life will never be the same. You know, it's a slow process. But yes, you know, people tell you, right? A couple of new major champions um, from the year before that called me after I won. Um, and said, you got to learn the word no. And I was like, what do you mean learn the word no, you know? Because sponsors, new sponsors, fans, just energy, going to your own home course, going back to your own church. It's just things, time. And I'm like, look, man, I, my, my son needs to go take a nap. I need to take my son to take a nap. But let me ask you one more question. It's like, no, let me just, you know, and 
And so it just kind of wears on you. But yeah, no, you, you can't prepare. There's no, I couldn't prepare. Like a LeBron James who's grown up in that, Tiger Woods who's grown up in that, you know, they've been prepared. They've, they've been learning this. They've been doing this their whole lives. But I, I definitely was not prepared. Local Knowledge is produced by Greg Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Weinman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to download the episodes and leave us a review. Leave us a nice review. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks, guys.